Welcome to the MXGP Podcast Show on Vital MX. Your hosts, Lewis Phillips and Adam Wheeler, will discuss all things MXGP. Woke up with a bend in the brain, stretching out with a cup of coffee. My muscles take from days ago. Yawning stretch up towards the sky, zoning out while making breakfast. Just reading straight into adult oblivion. The best years couldn't put a dent in mind. First ones even if they Hello and welcome to another edition of the MXGP podcast show on Vital MX. A much earlier edition this week. This podcast is coming to you live. It's not actually live. <laughs> Pre-recorded live. I feel like there is a saying for that, but I don't know what it is. This podcast is coming to you direct from Sweden. Not only am I in attendance, which is a rarity. Adam Wheeler is in attendance, which is a rarity. And the both of us together is like something, a shooting star or something extremely rare like that. So we're going to get into everything that we've seen, heard, heard, heard mainly, because there wasn't much to see, but there was a lot to hear. And we're going to get, we are going to get into all of that on this episode of the MXGP podcast show, which is, of course, supported by FXR and Polisport. Are you going to save your readouts for later in the oh, podcast? Are you going that. to do it? Oh, you mentioned the names. I think you could just... I'm going to do one now yeah. and then one later. Right. Just to, right. So first up... First and foremost, well, not necessarily foremost, this is a random selection. <laughs> FXR, designed by racers for racers, with industry-leading fit, finish, and performance. I swear that's always said form. Have I? Okay. Fit, finish, and performance. Progression is the name of the game with every new piece created. At FXR, they push their brand to the next level to provide you with the best product possible. FXR is built to conquer. Thank you to FXR for supporting the podcast. We much appreciate it. Met a lot of podcast fans in Sweden. Some of them didn't speak very good English, so I'm not sure how they listen to this, actually, come to think of it. But still, nonetheless, it was an enjoyable experience. Maybe it's an English lesson. I, I can, I'm concerned if people are learning English off of us. Is your um, podcast machine working okay, by the way? You keep yeah. looking at it worryingly. No, um, I did this with Jeffrey as well. Very... Paranoid is Lewis because right. I cannot think of anything worse than telling, messaging you in two hours' time and saying, "By the way, I fucked up." So I yes. get very concerned. That would be um, yeah a disaster. And also, I um I am a producer, so I'm watching the levels, making adjustments. You know, it's a lot going on over here. It's not the um the easy life of a co-host yeah that's it i'm just sitting here on yeah. your sofa on literally. my sofa yeah yes. freeloading um, that was it like, well, not quite freeloading maybe you know slightly underpaid fully appreciated <laughs> you know but uh you know anyway that's that's another discussion yeah well we we may have some new sponsors for next year so that will be a discussion here shortly um adam wheeler from on track off road hello your second gp of the season yes enjoyable um loaded question perhaps that one enjoyable uh yeah i mean it's always always good to be back in the paddock finally um working silverstone last weekend for MotoGP um in sweden this weekend for motocross in red bull ring next weekend for MotoGP. uh so after a july largely 
working from home um, for certain events. Of course, there was no road racing, so it was just motocross. Um, yeah, now it's all sort of it's all go. But um, the reason I hesitate of your question for enjoyable was because the reaction from the riders was pretty negative towards the state of the track in Sweden. There are certain caveats with that, and I also think you need to take riders' post-race comments with a pinch of salt because people who do well tend to enjoy a track. People who don't or they fluff their starts or whatever tend to be slightly more critical than they would perhaps normally. But, um, yeah, the, the verdict on Udavala uh, was pretty damning. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to walk away, as we have done on Sunday evening, with too much of a, a glow, to be honest, about round 15. Well, I thought you were going to mention something that happened to you in the press conference. Can right. we do that now, or would you like to do that later? The press conference that you didn't come to and you never come to. Nope. Right. Have not attended a press conference since 2016. Ugh. It's, you know, does that qualify you even as accredited media in that case? I, I, am, I actually had this conversation with someone on Friday. I said, I'm very interested to see if I get a permanent pass for next year. And I said, if I don't, there will be uproar because they give you a permanent pass and I'm effectively doing the Adam Wheeler program. Yeah, so there's more. absolutely no reason why there should be one rule for you and not a rule for Oh, me. absolutely. I mean, in theory, you should get a permanent a hard pass if you're attending the majority of yeah. the calendar, which then, you know, in front kind of bends slightly with the email at the, set, at the outset of the year saying, uh, well, you can pick up your pass from your first round you attend. So I mean, if you're going to attend round 15 of, of 19, then, um, you know, that kind of negates the reason for having a hard card, really. But, um, yes, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with prestige or the coverage or whatever. I mean, there's plenty of people in other motorsports series and sports that have press accreditations based on, you know, I don't know, their their association, their profile, or uh, whether they're just like a decent bloke. And I feel like, I feel like well, you obviously have and you get your pass every year. But I feel like I've paid my dues now. Yes. So I've, I'm, I feel so like... So why are you should, worried? I'm not worried. I'm just intrigued. No, that's not, there's not even a question. Okay. Don't worry about that. Well, that's our first um, hot topic for the podcast, squashed. Can we talk about what happened to you in the press conference? Well, the pre- like in the press, no, no, no. In the press conference, we had Jeremy Sewer winner the Grand Prix, uh, finally. Yes. Um, ahead of Jorge Prado and Roman Febra. So Febra's five Grand Prix winning streak was broken. Yeah. Uh, he was a little bit pissed off. Um, no, I don't think okay. he was that was pissed off to... about it. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, we'll get to that. I don't think he was that pissed off about the streak being broken. I mean, he said it's inevitable. I mean, he wasn't going to keep winning Grand Prix, um, you know, forever. And, you know, he also dropped the ball. I mean, he was leading the first moto. He, he made a mistake. Jorge Prado was able to uh, capitalize on it and, and took the victory. And, you know, all three riders commented on their day, uh, but then Roman was particularly outspoken and vocal about the state of the track. Uh, he used comments like, uh, this is not motocross. Uh, we don't really know what we're doing. Uh, a track where it's impossible to pass it doesn't make a good show for the fans. Um, and eventually, when it came around to asking media questions, I sort of said, you know, in front the same day, only what f- six hours earlier had made a, their own press conference saying that MHG would be coming back to Udivala three years in a row until 2026, as per your tweet. A press um, conference that I did attend. Were you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Not right. not on purpose. I just, <laughs> I was in there anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It was coincidental. Um, 
So I just said, you know, MSGP is coming back here the next three years. What could, you know, be done to make it better? And, um, you know, there were some comments. I mean, Jorge Prado was very succinct and, and analytical by pointing out what, you know, the pro nationals do with their tracks to, you know, modify things and make different lines and open things up. Uh, Jeremy Sewell was also talking about if people watched the Swedish Grand Prix on, on, you know, on TV or on playback or whatever, the first corner coming up the hill, the step up into the second and the third was like an off-camber corner before, I think last year it had been a double lane sort of construction without a berm so riders could take the two, there were two forced lines essentially, but this year it changed and it was, um, you know, there was less options you know, the lack of options and the lack of opportunities to pass, I think, you know, were played out by the fact that there was hardly any passing going on. And, um, yeah, and uh, so I asked this question and then I think um, Roman just tossed a little aside on his way out saying, uh, yeah, people that ask trash questions. Yes. I felt quite affronted by that. I One, it wasn't a trash question and he had already trashed the Grand Prix before I'd even had a chance to ask. Why it. are you gloating so much? Because, because for so long this has been me. And I never get to sit on the other side of the fence. So I'm just very much enjoying the fact that we can say on this podcast that no one was pissed off or annoyed at me this weekend. No, no, no. There's a sequel. Explain what happened later in the paddock to our listeners. Well, Roman didn't do an interview with me. And I can only imagine it's because he knows that I talked to Adam Wheeler. No, no, no. I mean, he he threw a little barb on his way out, which may have even been a little bit sarky, or I couldn't detect the actual, um, you know, malice in the comment. But I mean, he completely blanked you, and I think that's a different thing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, regret regret bringing this up now. Um, People probably bored of our little spat stories. I enjoy this more than to to be honest. (laughs) The racing was absolutely terrible. So, (laughs) I but um. The thing is, I was talking um, with Jesus Prado as well afterwards, like um, Jorge's dad. And what? I'm sorry, his name's Jesus. I, I've been, I, I, I've been, I've been calling him Jesus. No, that's that's you know, that's the English pronunciation of his okay. name. So I don't think he's going to look at you. You know, like okay. why are you calling me the Messiah? It's alarm. <laughs> okay, it's just struck me. No. <laughs> Um, and you know, he was just saying that, that, that the four fifties, you know, the power of the bikes now, the level of the riders are outgrowing these venues. And first time I came to Udavala was 2001. I think Paul Malin, if I heard rightly on the TV commentary and Paul is always such a fantastic source for information and facts. I think we've said this before, but he really does his research. This was the 25th GP they've had at Udavala. And since 2001, the track has not changed that much. In fact, the only way it has been modernized, in my view, was just by the busyness of the layout. You know, there's bumps, there's jumps, there's uh, additional kind of wave sections. There's things that obviously the track builders are putting in there to slow down the average speed of the bikes now. But Jesus's point was that, you know, the, the level of both the machinery and the riders it's just outstretching these facilities and it's, you know, we're racing on courses that were being used, you know, what over 20 years ago. And um, maybe he kind of does have a point. I never came here when the circuit went in the opposite direction, but was it better? Maybe it's always been the same kind of weird shingly stony surface. I mean, the track is based inside the, you know, the confines of a quarry and, you know, the dirt is always very, restrictive of what you can do it always seems to be very slick it's almost kind of locket-esque in that you know respect like the czech republic 
And I just think, you know, that the track builders and, and the club, the club are fantastic, by the way. I mean, the amount of volunteers they have, the amount of enthusiasm they have for motocross, um, you know, the motor club at Oda Valley, you actually see them, other GPs. I mean, they, they're always looking to improve and they're always looking to make their event better. And to be honest, Lewis, we have to admit that the, the crowd was pretty good for a Saturday as well. There was a decent turnout. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't any different to Udavala last year, though. Okay. In fact, I'd say actually maybe it was a tiny bit down. Really? I thought it looked very busy. Uh, well, were you looking at the rock face? Well, both sides. Okay. I mean, it was it. it the, the the track seems surrounded, but it was all like we've said. It's it's just a very sort of compact venue, and I think it's one of those places where, in contrast to Matterley Basin, where you could have thirty thousand people there and it seemed like ten. Yeah. Uh, this this is a place where maybe you have 8,000 and it seems like you're not going to fit that many more in. Let's not forget that at the end of 2015, I think it was, uh, in front or youth stream at the time, released for calendar with uh, Germany and Sweden with TBD or TBC or something by it. Punishments. Which was basically, um, they said to Tushantal and Udavala, you need to improve your infrastructure, safety, improve the track, so it's more fitting for MXGP, otherwise we're out. So, truthfully, actually, I don't know what Udavala did in response to that, because it hasn't changed much, but they obviously did something. Um, but so they, Udavala's been on the on the chopping block, not, not chopping block, but it's been under scrutiny for a while. They've made an effort. I mean, the start has been moved three different places, I think. Uh, it used to be a much faster straight-down drive, from where, like, kind of the the commercial area is now next to the press room. That really? originally was where the start used to be, and you know that they, they have, like I say, they've made an effort. But I think this is a classic example of a Grand Prix track where you cannot have too many support classes. I think having EMX one two five and EMX two fifty not only had an effect on the track. Um, Alessandro Lupino, um, Ben Watson's teammate. There you go. The first oh. Ben Watson mention of the podcast. He was sort of saying how, you know, just after the one, two, five sessions, you know, the, the bumps, um, the sort of like square edges that Udavala tends to build up quite well were already quite gnarly, you know, for the, for the, for the premier class. And we mustn't lose sight of the fact that at the M- MHGP main event is probably the reason that 90% of the people are there. I mean, for sure, there's some younger riders coming up in EMX 125. We saw a full gate in EMX 250, which is a big contrast to MX2. We can come onto that in a minute. Uh, and you know i i just think you know you cannot put these sort of facilities you know under strain and um i mean i was getting annoyed on friday i was almost run over by like kids running around on pit bikes i was getting pissed off you know it's like far cry from moto gp uh, well it, not even that i just think you know look, there's too many people here too many people wedged into every corner of the quarry it just looks messy it looks disorganized it's um you know, it doesn't feel like a, a sort of premium world championship event. This might have been happening while you were in a go-kart. <laughs> I was one of those kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've said it for years. This is MXGP. This is an MXGP slogan, everyone gets to have a go. This is the pinnacle of the sport. Not everyone should be able to just pay an entry fee and race on the GP weekend in some class. I fully agree with that. And actually, in that vein, I wanted to ask you, I thought about this earlier. So we were both there all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Did you pay any attention to the EMX classes? Do you know who won? Did you make an effort to go and watch a single lap? Or was it literally uh, irrelevant to you? 
Um, being honest, I, I looked at the final results, but okay. I didn't go and see a single lap of action. Okay, same. Uh, well, I didn't look at the final results. I saw the podium on TV, so I know, uh, and I saw the EMX 250 podium. I don't even know who was in EMX 125. I, I looked at it more because I was interested in the demographic of the riders. I was thinking, you know, are there any young Swedish or Scandinavian riders coming through? You know, the support for like Isaac Giftin um, in MX2 was fantastic. I thought, wow, the Swedish fans, you know, they seem rowdier than I can ever remember them. And, you know, that there is, if you look at EMX 250 and, and the 125, it just looks so incredibly healthy. It looks like there's a lot of kids from a lot of different countries that want to race this series. But like you say, Lois, I just wonder whether it should be packed into a Grand Prix weekend and on a track where you really need moti- like um, maintenance and the track needs to be sorted, the takeoffs, there's certain areas that really need to be fixed for the MX2 and actually MXGP guys, and there's not really the time for that, especially when the weather is so terrible and the track is, was in the state that it was. Why can't these guys run on a Friday? I mean, you, maybe there's an extra cost to televise it, but how many people... No one wants it televised. Who's watching it? Yeah, I mean, you know, that big investment... I know you can, if you say we do it on Saturday and Sunday, you can keep the cameraman, the TV crew out on the track, you know, just film an extra moto or whatever and you've got that coverage i see the advantages of it but when it starts to impact the the quality or the state of the show jeffrey hullings was one rider i quickly spoke to after the race and the the frustration that he felt on having one line and not being able to pass was just like kind of oozing out of his pores like the sweat you know in in the ktm morning and it was uh it was kind of you know despairing to see really yeah it's uh as always there are many problems and many potential solutions, but nothing is really happening <laughs> on either side. There is no real change or no real effort, it seems, to really make any significant changes to the series. I mean, he was, Jeffrey was like pretty vocal and, you know, disappointed. And again, you know, the Jeremy Sewer, Roman Febra, Jorge Prada, those three riders on the podium were also, um, you know, direct with their comments. I mean, in the second moto there, track side, you had Maxim Renault coming back from injury for the first time, not even walking very well. But um, he openly admitted to me afterwards that his number one focus is Erne in making the motocross the nations team. And to do that, he had to come back and build up. But you had Renault, you had Hurlings, you had Geyser, you had Prado. And I thought, wow. And even Alberto Ferrato was starting to catch them. You had all these five guys together and I was just waiting for somebody to light a match and for it all to kick off. But they just sort of circulated with, you know, more or less a second or less than a second in between them. And you could see they were riding with a degree of caution because the conditions dictated that. But just nobody made a move. Nobody could get close enough to make a move. And I thought, when was the last time you saw Hurling so sort of uh, nullified in that way? It, it was the most boring. I, I genuinely cannot remember the last GP, but that was that boring. Um, there was nothing. Uh, I almost fell asleep at one point because there was no adrenaline in my veins. As you say, the most exciting part of the weekend was um, go-karting. Is that when you opened your first kind of monster for the day? I needed many, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> well, this the weekend. Fir- the fir- for me, the, the, ir- the irony was that the first MX2 moto, um, you know, also for the conditions of the class, 19 runners were missing the three Husqvarna guys when you know they had organized that really cool looking um special livery and you know two of the three monster energy yamaha factory riders were missing you know the the lineup was small but the the race was so processional and um you know but of course i say the irony because the second moto 
uh, when we had a heavy rain shower in the last sort of 10 minutes. And, um, you know, the back markers helped Simon Lagenfelder catch all the way back up to Andrea Adamo, who, you know, was lucky to avoid a very scary moment in the first moto. Um, created a bit of a grandstand finish. I mean, that was kind of the action highlight of the day. Yeah, it reminded me of 2017 when Sewer and Covington raced to the line in the second MX2 moto. I'm pretty sure that was a photo finish as well. Mm, you're raiding the memory bank now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a photo finish. I actually had, a, like, the last lap, that was all I was thinking of. It um, struck me for whatever reason. While we're on the subject of series improvements and general status of a paddock, um, David Luongo sent an email to all of the teams this week. We both heard, I'm sure, different versions of the email from multiple people. But I think, as far as I gathered, the quite strict tone of email a few people said that when an email is signed off david luongo that means business like apparently that's quite rare for the teams um it essentially said because what's happened is hrc uh well ice one were the first to bring in the aquariums and now not only do we have aquariums for the race team we have hospitality aquariums uh i think hrc have three Two hospitality? No, two. No, there's one hospital. Well, in Sweden, there was one hospitality and one race. I think, I think they have two hospitality for certain GPs. Wow. I think there's. I think there is a third one that doesn't go to every GP. I'm almost certain. Um, Kawasaki uh, have two hospitality yes. and offices. Standing have. See again. I think at Lommel, Kawasaki had a third one as well. I'm almost certain of that as well. So what? What I gather is that this email said. If you want, if you are going to keep bringing extra hospitality aquariums, we are going to put them in a separate paddock. Now, I we just talked about cramming MXGP into Udavala. I have no idea where this separate paddock would be, but essentially, in front, uh, have said no, no to that. Um, they've asked that the stickers be removed from the windows of the aquariums so that fans can see in. I got told that email actually said they want the windows to be open. I'm not even sure if that's possible, but they want fans to be able to smell, see, blah, blah, blah. Most interesting, as I'm getting to, is apparently the email said admit something along the lines of, admittedly, maybe we have gone too far with track banners. So what I would um, what I would deduce from this is that in front have said to teams, the fans can't see in the truck, it's stupid, they hate it, and then a team has rebuttaled with, well, fans have been complaining that they can't see the track over the advertising banners, which, to be fair, is quite a good comeback. Um, that's yeah. what I, that's how I would gather that this happened. Um, so long story short. Yeah. But then again, I heard this last year. I distinctly remember tweeting last year that in front we're going to put a ban on the graphics across the front of the aquariums. I think it was in Lommel where they had an MSMA meeting. Um, I'm going to make a fool of myself now by saying I think MSMA is Motorsports Manufacturers Association. Uh, what it yeah, someone for. said to me this weekend, oh, we were in an MSMA meeting and I was just like, oh. Okay, I don't know what that means. Well, but basically, that's where all the manufacturers—that's uh, their their group, uh, their gathering—you know, where technical matters are discussed. Uh, you get most of the prominent head of racings or team managers taking part in these meetings. Did you hear what Caro- what came of Caroli in that meeting? Uh, no, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast or if this is a private story. You brought it up now. Okay. Um, apparently, in the meeting, they were discussing uh, riders on the gate, number of entries, blah blah blah, and. David said, um, I think that reducing the entry fee to 300 euros is great. And then someone else said, well, 10,000 euros for the entire season, which is what it costs for an officially approved team. So like Yamaha are paying 10,000 euros for Sewer to enter the season. 
Although, would it not? Would that have not been reduced? Because what's 300 times 20? No, but it's been 10,000 for a long yeah. time. Eh? Um, but anyway, this, so this came up and apparently Crowley had no idea that there was an entry fee. Oh, really? Yeah, had no idea. Had oh. Genuinely asked, like, what? wait, what? What? What's this money? Like, where's it? What's this for? <laughs> which which yeah. is a, um, a look at how uh, in their own bubble a rider is, as they should be. In their own but, aquarium. Yes, yes. But um, a few team managers pointed that out as a funny story from the meeting. But then, you know, I remember speaking to uh, a team manager many years ago. This had been at the end of the noughties uh, when the 10,000 fee was being introduced. And, you know, when the costs were broke down, it was actually not that bad because it includes X amount of passes per race, which if the teams had to buy, it would, you know, be another yeah. fee. Then it also included things like, uh, you know, uh, a specialized TV report, which then, you know, teams could use to sell to sponsors or to, you know, prove they're getting exposure or, uh, to a certain viewership or something like that. That's how it was explained yeah. to them, and- you know. Of course, it's laughable now, but the officially approved teams uh, system is also meant to guarantee them a spot on the gate, which isn't a concern because there is room. But that, I guess that's kind of a genesis of the idea. Well, that's what we were saying before about these officially approved teams also need to notify, you know, in front and the FIM if there's an injury and they, they're kind of obliged to replace those riders yeah. as well. Uh, so, they, you know, um, we, we are in an age where, you know, people pay to race unfortunately the days where it was the other way around have long since gone uh you don't need to be if you're a rider or or a team you have to be earning your own money to pay yourself yeah you know you can't rely on a series to do it and the philosophy i think from from in front or from Ustream, from when they took control of the series you know almost exactly 20 years ago uh you know, it, it has been that, you know, they, they're providing the window for brands and, you know, whether it's a manufacturer or it's a sponsor or it's a local bike dealer to go racing, um, that they're there providing the shop window. You could either, you think that's disgusting or you don't agree with it, but that's, that's what it is. And the, the reality is that people want to do that. People are buying into it. And we've got two new manufacturers who are signing up to it. Yeah. And Fantic, who, okay, they're in it at the moment, but, but they are going to be making more of a push with a 450 team. And so I technically count that as a third manufacturer that's doing something. And the, the paddock was busy. And in Udavalo was one of those, I'm not sure if it's the case in every single Grand Prix, but they charge fans to get in. I think it was like a hundred kroner. I would, which I'm not sure how many. everywhere. Yeah, I think so. They can't. You can't do it. Some Matley was like Matley. I always paid as a fan. It was twenty quid or yeah, something, I think so. isn't it? Um, twenty-five maybe. And you know, I think in front have a point. Why should you charge fans twenty quid to go into a paddock where you're not going to see anything? Because even if you take the stickers off the aquarium windows, they're tinted glass. Yeah. I mean, I, I, from a journalist point of view, I found myself walking by thinking, "Well, is is the rider in there? Is the yeah, person it's I'm looking awkward, for?" Isn't it? Because you don't want to walk in realize the person you're looking for isn't in there and then just turn around and walk out because it's like walking into i tell everyone it's like walking into someone's hotel room i kind of feel like if i'm going in there i need a a purpose and b to know that 100 percent the person i'm looking for is there because otherwise it's horrifically awkward then you just need to walk up to the aquarium and say housekeeping and then, <laughs> then you know pop your head in <laughs> um, whereas um the traditional awnings i walk in touch the seat, touch the levers, grab a drink, wander mm. around, poke my head in places. Like it just kind of feels like a just 
it's open to anyone. I mean, it probably isn't. But, um, oh, well, the fans, I think, like seeing the mechanics working on the bikes and, you know, the, you might snatch a, a glimpse of, you know, Jeremy Sewer or Jorge Prado walking by. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I was, um, when I was talking with Jesus Prado, there were two very, very energetic fans who came up um, saying they, and, and one guy was over the moon. It was like, um, what, to meet you or Jesus? Uh, no, about Jesus. And, you know, maybe he was, he thought it was the actual Jesus because, you know, his reaction was the same sort of adoration. And he was pointing out in his bro- very, very broken English that Jorge apparently had given him a cap in Locket for the Czech Republic yeah. and he'd come back and this time he had a signed shirt. Um, and he was just, uh, he wanted to hug Jesus and tell him how marvelous his son was. And I just thought it was, it was, was, was pretty awesome. So quick sidebar in Spanish, which you speak is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Cristo. Well, there we go, everyone. We have learned something new today. Wow. Uh, I am shook. Should we get onto the results? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I feel like this is a better podcast, but <laughs> we are 30 minutes in, so do we, should we at least touch on the results? Uh, Jeremy Sewer, wow. But, I mean, I think he even said in the press conference, you know, 90% of the race was just the first couple of hundred meters. You know, who, he said the first one to get out of the first corner first had 90% of the race. His start in the second moto was phenomenal. I actually meant to ask him about that because I'd be interested to know what he changed on the bike for a mud start. Um, setup wise but it was phenomenal and I said this to him after the race quietly very quietly because no one gives him credit Jeremy is a ridiculously good mud rider first GP win was Pankow Penang uh, the washout year Russia the same year in MX2 I think he lapped everyone or lapped up to second at least in the mud um, yeah like in general he's had phenomenal mud rides but I think because he's such a little guy no one thinks that well, he, again, one of the first comments he made uh, post-race was that, you know, people think motocross is just a physical sport and it's all about who can go hard in the last 20 minutes of a moto. But, you know, he said today was a mental game. It was about your concentration, you know, using the, the one line that there was effectively. And he did that brilliantly. I mean, Febra, I think, had a go at trying to close the gap in the first few laps but he was just um unfaltering and you know it brought him that win yeah he broke fevra who has won five gps in a row so for him to do that i feel like was a a statement and b probably quite uplifting for him maybe one reason why fevra was getting a bit you know um annoyed with the questions in the press conference and i wasn't the only one asking things by the way uh was that I said to Jeremy, he didn't look very happy afterwards, you know, on the podium. I said, why, you know, why were you, you Wait, know, lo- who didn't look happy? Jeremy or Jeremy, Jeremy, you know, on the podium, he looked like, um, actually the podium ceremony was a bit of an inconvenience to him. So I just sort of said, you know, are you okay? Or do you think that people don't value you enough? Um, you know, bearing in mind, we know all the rumors going yes. around about where his employment's going to be next year. And, um, he kind of sidebatted the question very well, I thought, by not re- referencing his situation at all. Um, by sort of saying he was surprised where all the fans had gone. Um, because I think in previous years in Udavada, people have sort of charged the start straight. There's been a pretty Was there big, no one this year? There was, ups, there was, no, there was nobody. So maybe you said you thought the crowd was strong. Maybe this is a... Or just everyone was like wet, cold, fed up and wanted to go home. Um, and also the start straight, as I think Jorge Prado pointed out, was incredibly boggy. It was not in a good state. I mean, I certainly, if I was watching you know, all day there, not want to run up and be ankle deep in mud. 
And at the end of the day, Jeremy is from Switzerland. It's a long way away. I'm sure the <laughs> Swedish fans don't feel very like um, close to him, although he probably thinks they do. Um, no, uh, yeah, speaking of his situation for next year, I asked him on the record about it, and he said, what I would like to do is run my mouth and tell you how angry I am, but I'm too professional for that. Let me tell, I'll tell you this, it's fucking complicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that's where we're at. Uh, I, I don't know what's next. I wouldn't expect an announcement anytime soon. Um, it's complicated. So we will see what happens there. It will, it, I tell you what, this will be interesting though. Well, I mean, from what we know, he's wanted by someone. He was unwanted by someone. He's wanted by somebody else again. Uh, and it, there's there's contractual issues that are all getting very messy because again I think we talked about riders' contracts on a recent you know podcast. There are all sorts of dates involved. I mean, you have to as a rider, you have to give um, notification to a brand if you're leaving them, or if it's the shoes on the other foot, a brand has to tell you by a certain date if they're going to renew your deal, uh, and that means any they also have first refusals on any other contract offers you have. So there's a lot of kind of timing that comes into it. And, you know, this is where communication is absolutely key. If you have a good racing manager, you know, who has a plan in place, then they can inform riders or they can make their moves for the riders they want for the following year, not burning bridges and not making things messier than they need to be. And I don't think Jeremy is, um, you know, he's landed in a good spot when it comes to being treated particularly well. Yeah, this win has actually come at a very interesting time because it's only going to fuel the fire for both parties he's effectively more desirable now than he was two days ago so that's only going to make this more interesting well i mean it's an open secret isn't it that yamaha are going to shift their structure for next year and you know they're going to move from essentially one team in mxgp and they're transferring their efforts in another team to a different place so you know you know look at the team that jeremy's riding for and make your own deductions yeah and actually we have discussed on this podcast uh, whether they'll have two riders or three riders i got told this weekend that it's in the monster contract that they have to have three riders yeah so that answers that um but we said that before i still think that's a good policy because you know i mean look at look at rebel ktm jeffrey herlins gets injured they, they don't have anybody riding a factory 450 they have to go to another brand I'm so just, you know why not just i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of other monster teams is that just a yamaha clause or is that it must be a Yamaha thing. Yeah, there but aren't not, any other monster teams in MXGP. Not not title sponsorship. I think do I think uh, Triumph will be. Yeah, that's that's the latest rumor. Um, but but that's a strange gig. It must be because of the Ricky Carmichael Association. I would have thought. Well, I don't because originally I got told that Triumph in America will be monster and MXGP is questionable. But then recently I got told it's the other way around and MXGP is definite and America is questionable. Right. So but obviously yeah. we know that Monster love. Um, MX Eska, the old KRT team, they they departed Kawasaki at the same time as Eska did, and I don't think that is a coincidence. Um, so Monster yeah. Monster have been on Kawasaki from the beginning. I think when they came into MHGP, I mean they had riders like Gautier Paulan, obviously Brian Villapoto came across largely on the bond of that Kawasaki Monster relationship. Um, Roman Feber as well has been a, a monster rider since 2015 up until, you know, he moved away to a different Kawasaki structure last year. He's still monster though. Is he still officially monster? I don't think he is. Personal deal. I'm swear he wears a monster helmet. He definitely wore a monster helmet last year, I think. 
I'm going to check his Instagram. Right. I don't think he is anymore. Uh, that's a video. Can't see. Here's a photo. Uh, no, he's just wearing a just one lid without monster. Why is every photo? No, there's a monster core. There is? Yeah, massive as well. Oh, uh, okay. And right. Roman loves money, as do all of these guys. <laughs> I feel like everyone in the paddock is starting to love money more. Well, do you get not? that sense? Yeah, it kind of makes the world go around. Maybe it's just because we spoke to Jeffrey Hurlings today, <laughs> but that's on my... <laughs> um, but no, I feel like I feel like there's a lot... I feel like the, the top, top riders are realising that there's more money on the... There's more money to grab than maybe there was four years ago, and they want that. The riders' market is probably very juicy at the moment because you could look at a Triumph. You could own a Triumph. They're only going to be in MX2 for the first year. Uh, Ducati coming in, they're going to need not only test riders but race, you know, quality races. Without naming names, how many riders do you think we have in MXGP who are on seven-figure deals? I can think of one, two, three. I'd three, say three, four. Really? Seven figures. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say five. I'm talking next year. Right. Essentially. And I guess so someone is questionable. I think five. I'm sure you can think of the five that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Well, you just, yeah, you don't have to go too far down the no. current World Championship standings. Um, yeah. But still, that's healthy. I think if you've got, say, three, uh, let's split the difference. Say you've got four riders um, earning that kind of money. I think that means that the paddock's in a healthy spot. Obviously, the the issue is well, top-heavy, as always. Yeah, you go five riders down and they're, well, we're, like, we're richer than them. Well, it's like we're saying about Super Motocross. I mean, look at that fantastic purse that, you know, like Feld and, and everybody else have clubbed together to make. But it's obviously a political leverage or a lever because, you know, with all respect, everyone needs more money. But why does Chase Sexton need another million, you know, dollars? Or, you know, Eli Tomac or the Lawrences, uh it's the guys between 10 and 20 that really need that kind of cash. But they're going to make good money. It's not like they're getting left out of this deal. No. But so then, you know, the, the headline or the, the sort of the news generators that this huge purse is up for, up for you know, offer is, is going towards sort of the wrong people, isn't it? Not to, again, get sidetracked, but I've seen the, the plan for Super Motocross that was sent to team managers, and it's going to be much more of an much more of a event than I imagined. Uh, there's going to be, you know, like they do in F1 and maybe MotoGP with a massive stage and rider uh, rider interviews, driver interviews, blah, blah, blah. There's going to okay. be one of those where they're going to do live podcasts. So more showy. Yeah, there's going to be a movie theatre thing in the camping area. There's going to be... What else was in the camping I've got area? some news for you, actually, about Super Motocross. Oh. Jorge Prado wanted to do it this year. And I said to him, surely there's like, is there like, like an invitational kind of route into doing these three events? And he said, no, they've looked into it and he would have to do one national and win, win that yeah. national to get enough points to qualify to do super motocross. And they were even looking at which national he could squeeze in to attempt it. And you know, it says something from the confidence or the belief he has at the moment, but he quite fancied his chances of going there and getting a decent result. But uh, it's not going to happen. And I said, you know, because he wants to have a taster of Supercross. He yeah. wants to give it a go. Um, you know, if he, he can't just go straight into Anaheim 1. I, I think, you know, you needed a bit of a... I mean, Tim Geis has, what, done two Monster Energy Cups now? Yeah. And that event's now vanished. And, you know, if you kind of... If Fel kind of opened up Super Motocross a little bit and said, right, well, two spaces on the gate we're going to, you know, give to anyone who can, you know, we fancy then, you know, what that would be really cool to bring over the world champion who's up for it. Yeah, I actually, you saying that gave me goosebumps because I was like, oh, that would be good. But the enigma that is Jorge Prado continues then. 
because nothing is ever straightforward. He's never he's never just here doing MXGP and he's content and we know what he's doing. There's no, always there's a grand plan that story. we don't know about, and I think you know sometimes those those details slip out. But there's uh... I got told that he's going to um, this was I got told this in Mar- uh, April after the he is going to America he isn't going to America a month later I got told he's going in October to ride Supercross and see if he can do it slash still likes it as much as he did in 2016 when he went which was obviously a long time ago now um, yeah he was 15 years old I think he went even before he started doing GPs yeah that was the first time I actually ever met him um, funnily enough in California who would have thought um, speaking of Fevra, uh he I believe he's staying at Kawasaki Oh, he was asked in the press conference if he had signed, and he said, no comment. Well, two weeks ago, he was more than happy to comment. Yeah, so why not just say, yes, I've signed, but I'm not telling you. This is why, like, we need to get everyone together. Like, we need to, (laughs) like... for a big hug? No, just like, hey, riders, and teams even. Hey, uh, hello... Why can't I think of a team name? Hello, Uh, Tony Caroli. Um, We hear that you... We hear that Maxime Renault... Uh, either tested the KTM or you were interested in him. Tony Crowley can then say, it's true that we had some interest, but he will not be on our team next year. Thank you. That's all we need. And we'll take that. We can make some, not that we want to dramatize it, but we can talk about that. They did have interest. It's not going to happen. But instead, everyone just squirms. Yeah, but it's, it's all about showing your cards, isn't it? You don't want to say, yeah, we're talking to that person or we've been talking to that but I, person. What I, said, what I said past tense there, we had interest. Okay. But that's still a very small, like, you know, there's probably not many negotiations that stall and you actually want to that's say... Okay, that's true. <laughs> okay, that was a very bad example. No, no, I, I know what you're yeah. trying to say, but uh, I don't think you'll get that kind of disclosure. Um, and actually, that's why I was kind of enjoyed that press conference today because I thought the riders were very, very brutal about the state of the track and and the swedish grand prix this this year i again i think i said before there are um you know circumstances involved with that because the weather was terrible and maybe the track crew maybe they should come and join the press conference and say well we did exactly this for this reason the weather had been terrible apparently in sweden in the days building up to the grand prix um you know i know you were very happy that it reached near mudder status lewis so your prediction you know well did, did paul's jonas um you know apologize to you um we'll get to it there's a lot of layers to the paul's jonas conversation <laughs> right. but he kind of apologized not apologized but he did say i was kind of right which I'll take. But do you want to know who I... I was talking to one of my dear friends in the paddock, and they said to me, yeah, I thought it was going to be really muddy this weekend. Like, I was expecting bikes getting stuck, and I went, me too, David Luongo. <laughs> right, okay. So me and David are just... We're on, we're on a page that is elusive to the rest of you. How are the hors d'oeuvres in the VIP restaurant? Are they pretty good? I'll find out here shortly. Right, okay. Slowly, slowly catching Is the Coca-Cola ice chilled in the fridge? I will... I will be um, looking down on you from my ivory tower. Yeah, just give us a royal wave at Nations, won't you? When we're all like slithering down the hill in the mud at Ona and freezing cold because it's going to be the beginning of October, just have a little like glance and throw us some scraps. I think um, the title of my autobiography will be Never Give Up. (laughs) Because if I'd given up a year ago, I would never be in this position now. So it goes to show that there's always hope. Um, We spoke about Prado enough. Good for him. Although I will say Saturday's qualifying race was phenomenal for Prado. I felt like I almost felt like he had listened to us and everyone saying that he was being 
effective but quiet with his championship run. And watching that qualifying race, I almost felt like it was him going, this is what I've got. 100 points in the pocket now, just from Saturdays. How good is that? Is it good? Of course. For him, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he's he's winning the championship by almost 100 points. Hmm. For him, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I actually want to go through and add up how, like... Obviously, the overall results do not include qualifying races. I want to add up each round, including the qualifying races, and see how the overall wins would be different to what we actually have. There's no point doing that, though, is there? Because it's done. Journalism? Is that no, not journalism? No, but it's, 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 it's a what-if kind of situation. Journalism? No. Stat? Like, this is stat? No. What if Barcelona had never signed Lionel Messi? You know. I don't know Exactly. You know, <laughs> this... Jorge Prado's on the way to the World Championship. Can we still agree after round 15? <laughs> well, we, can we still agree? <laughs> did, um, you never heard my shout out for you on the studio show, did you? Uh, no, but yeah, you told me about it. Yeah, it was I, a bit jumped in, I jumped in there. Like, when I saw my opportunity, I jumped in with glee. Can we just also remind you that in similar conditions exactly 10 years ago in Sweden, Tony Cairoli got a stone in his chain and he had to stop the bike. Ago? No, it was 2013. 12. I thought it was 13. I thought it was 12. Uh, I'll have to check that. But anyway, here. he had to stop his bike and dislodge the stone. I think he scored zero points. And in the second moto, he ran wide in one corner. Again, showing how treacherous Udavala can be when it's been raining. Uh, the, the ooze, the, the mud swallowed his bike and he DNF'd. Uh, 12. 2012. 11 years me. then. Um, yep. So, Prado you know, could have done that today Prado and could have still be leading the championship by 48 points. Well, yeah, but that's less than, um, less than a Grand Prix and there's still four to go. Well, you can't be mad about my comment on the studio show because quite clearly I was accurate ah, with what okay. I said. Um, Jeffrey Hurlings was there. First time I've seen Jeffrey Hurlings on a bike since Mantova 2021. Bizarre. And I cannot get used to the fact that he rides around in fourth quite content and is then happy to talk about it after the race. Because it wasn't so long ago that, well, you would never see Jeffrey Hurlings in fourth, first of all. And if he ever finished fourth, he would be out of there like a shot and basically hate his life. Two things for that. I don't think he was content at all in fourth. And he had a, sl- a later flight. So I think he was humoring He doesn't people. do late flights, though. Even that's weird. <clears throat> I don't like, like, I can't, I'm, I'm not good with change. And this Jeffrey Hurlings guy is changing. <laughs> Some people say for the better, but I just don't. It makes me uncomfortable. He did give uh, Maxim Renault a lot of credit. He said he was. Re- he said Renault rode brilliantly. You know, didn't make one mistake again. Just hogged the single line that there was, and it made it very difficult for him to pass. Um, but I, like, you know, I thought Geiger would make a move at some point. Geiger had a very strange crash in the first moto. Uh, didn't interview with Tim. Um, he said he's still trying to build up his confidence, which I thought was unusual for a rider who's won so many championships and to usually be such a, like an animal really of racing, um, to talk in that way. And he said that, you know, um, here is my favorite phrase. He's essentially become a test rider for HRC. Um, he's just, he's actually testing what he's racing. And he said, you know, for the first time since 2014, he's not thinking about a championship. What? You, Majora last year, you asked Tim a question and he got angry at you. What was the question? I can't oh, remember Majora. now. Yeah, Majora last year. Was it something about the course cutting? Or no, I can't. I just remember you. I, I, I remember you saying you asked him something and his answer was insanely abrupt. Oh right, okay. Like you'd really put him out. 
clearly you clearly it was such a horrific experience for you that you um yeah I, put I, it I can't remember well i mean he's used in eastern european they can be quite abrupt but tim is the nicest guy okay i think and, jeffrey's the nicest guy <laughs> um, <laughs> um on to the lewis phillips rider of the weekend uh paul jonas who as i said to him after the race he was smiling which was a rarity nowadays um I feel like this must be the happiest he has been leaving a GP in two years. Because I'm not sure he was happy at any point last year. Yeah. Uh, this year has been horrific with bad luck and injuries and whatever else. One problem after another. So for the fact that, A, he came back after a long layoff and ran in the top five. That's, that is phenomenal in itself. And then look at the data of what's happened to him over the last two years. All in all, this is like the best feel-good story possible and also super encouraging for what's to come. And also, this is what I saw coming at the start of the year. This is like, I genuinely, oh, hand on my heart, on. No, come on. hand on my heart, I like Jonas. I support Jonas. Like I, Jonas has a special place in Lewis's heart. And where was I going with that? He's a quality rider. And I believe in him. I yeah. genuinely, like, people think like, we drum things up for the podcast and I guess some things we do but genuinely hand on my heart I believe in Paul's Jonas yeah he's a quality rider but you're just wrong about you know him and Fernandez battling off of being the top Honda well I asked him about that after the race and said but I want to check the math because I'm not sure if we've been eliminated yet <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> I think Fernandez beat him in the second moto didn't he um, but then again you know there was not much passing going on yeah he did but you know we've also been out for four months yeah i thought pause was looking really lean he's looking in fantastic shape you I, know i thought you know he was sort of thunder one time when the standing construct aquarium doors did open um you know i saw him sort of thundering away on an exercise bike and just thought you know you're in shape mate you're you're ready to go so uh fair play to him i asked uh tim standing construct owner at the end of the weekend if i'm allowed in the aquarium because they scare me and he said yes if you take your shoes off. Yes. Uh, no, one of them, one of them, the shoes have to come off and one right. of them, the shoes are okay. Okay. So maybe next time you walk past, you'll see me on an exercise bike. They are a bit intimidating, aren't they? Well, what can they do to make them, I mean, maybe hang some bunting outside know. or like I'm a sign saying... I'm quite awkward anyway, so it's probably going to take a lot for them to make me feel comfortable. Oh, right. Um, maybe a sign that says, hi, Lewis, come in. Like something that personal might trigger something in my mind where i'll feel um ready to come oh, pause that was great it's good to see him up there in the top five i was felt sorry for calvin valandron he didn't he sort of didn't have the starts and I, i'm sure i saw him go down once or twice and he was riding out around without any goggles again which i thought you know and Udavala of all places you don't want to do that because jorge prado was actually wincing quite a lot on the podium and in the press conference because he said something bigger than a rock i don't know what you classify that you know stone a boulder but also kind of tells Maybe you it's a boulder. Isn't a rock, yeah. yeah you know like actually like yanked his left shoulder off the bars from uh, from guys's rear wheel and you know Udavara is just full of stones um that just reminded me prado said after the race that geyser was cross jumping quite bad in the second moto and he felt like it was a bit over the line which as he was saying it, I thought, oh my, if other riders listen to this, then they will pop yeah. kettle. 
I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't race Prado, so I don't really have an opinion. But I did think other riders would definitely get a kick out of this conversation. Speaking of, um, you know, pointing at other riders, Simon Lagenfelder, who won the MX2 Grand Prix, yep. what was that kind of strange gesture at the end of the second moto? He kind of seemed to be air pistoling people behind him. I think he was no, pointing, he was pointing to a back marker yeah, to come it? over. I, I just thought he was saying, come here. No, he was kind of like gesturing at him, so he was kind of air I'm, shooting him. I'm not gonna, not sure if you've noticed, but Simon is a little bit of a eccentric, strange guy. <laughs> I don't know. I like Simon as well. Simon is a, a who can forget last year when I was really rooting for him. The happiest man ever in the mud. Yeah, and a very good rider, and probably world champion next year. <laughs> don't you know? Seriously, you said that at the beginning of this year. And I'm, I think I'm kind of being proven you, right about that as well. Are you away from Lucas Kunin already for next year? Well, who can forget after Indonesia when I said Lucas Kunin could win the rest of the GPs and I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. That's gone well. I feel like I need to retire. Also, um, for a brief period, I was hired as Paul Jonas's trainer from here on out. Oh, wow. And then two hours after that, um, I found out that what I told him wasn't actually correct and I was fired. Uh, uh, right okay so i'm back that's why i'm now doing this podcast but i wasn't doing this podcast but ironically you know i've seen emic grand prix riders downing a full can of coke when they come in from a moto so you know well, it, it, can't, more, nutritionally, it, it can't be that trainer, bad motivator um i actually sent a rider a motivational quote today oh really i'll read right well, i'll Go read on, it yeah. to you right now don't forget you got another readout to do oh yes <laughs> see i told you it's not a good idea um i sent a an mxgp rider at midday just striking when was it the like time was something right. really inspirational like no pain no gain one was <laughs> it was oh, this wasn't serious one was heart is what separates the good from the great which i felt was really inspiring and then this rider said that they weren't so happy with the qualifying race right and they hoped that today was better so i said sometimes you need to get hit in the head to realize that you're in a fight <laughs> meaning the qualifying race was a hit but that should like you like that means that you're in this fight. Yeah, like like you, that's a wake up a wake up call, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Inspiring though, either way. However, <laughs> however you want to take it, I'm sure it inspired that, the rider. You didn't send that to Lucas Coonan before he crashed and suffered a concussion, did you? No. Right. Okay. Because hits at the head. Is but I will say this: I um last night I was sat here on this very couch thinking about things, and I very I picked up my phone to text Jeremy, and I almost I wrote it out. I wrote out. You're going to win tomorrow. Trust me. Because I just had this feeling and I deleted it because I think some riders are quite like some, some people are funny about that, aren't they? Like bad omen or jinxing it or whatever. So I deleted it. Yeah. And I really wish I'd sent it now. Yeah. They might think, yeah, right, mate. And then, you know, they finish 10th and then they think you're a bit of a twat. And then they think I jinxed it or like, oh, yeah. yeah, So, but I wish I'd sent that now. Um, there you go, Jeremy. You had some kind of, uh, karma coming your way. Uh, also, in Jeremy Sewer News, he set the monthly. He sent the he set the go kart record of the month. On really? Friday. Was that good? Yes. So he's all, so he's actually. Um, Is that because he weighs nothing? Well, I beat him last year. Right. So it must be something to do with the cart then. Underpowered. You've no. been stitched up. <sighs> oh well, I, I almost needed to be stitched up after my crash. On the sewer subject, back to motocross. He's now <laughs> like well ahead of the whole shots, isn't he? Which you know, eleven this year. Yeah, and like you know, I never thought Jorge Prado would be defeated when it comes to starts. Uh, I'm just trying to look. Well, the MXGP website says ten apiece, but I'm guessing that hasn't been updated. Yeah, because he's he he mentioned today he's ahead. Well, Sewer definitely got his eleventh today. So yeah, who right. got it in the other moto? Who got it in Moto One? Fevra. 
Yeah. So yeah, Sua will be on 11 and Prado will be on 10. How ironic that the one year Prado wins the World Championship, he won't win the whole shot award. And the only podium he's missed was his home Grand Prix. He also missed his home, he also missed the Spanish podium last year, I think, which is yeah. an odd, you know, do 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 do. And your mate David, um, um, you know, yeah. when I did an interview with him, he said that the, you know, Spain is currently very hot for, um, you know, motocross. And I wonder perhaps why. we could see, yeah, I mean, with two crack riders in the series, maybe we could see two, two races popping up. Did anything, really? Why Where? Well, they, I heard, they built a track next to a shopping centre in Madrid. That, um, the shopping centre track is in danger. Yeah, but that's did you a, tell me that? It's a temporary facility, isn't okay, it? It only yeah. exists for the Grand Prix. It's not like it's being practiced on all year round. Yes, yeah, so I guess if in that idea, like, and what, how can it be in danger when it doesn't technically exist? And also, as we've discussed before, and you know, the fabric of a Grand Prix event uh, politically. It depends on what's happening around, say, in this case, the the sort of province or is that province the right word of Madrid and Spain has not only been through local elections, but they have just had a general election. So who knows where motocross currently lies in that scheme? Uh, just looking at the MXGP results, the only person that I really have a note on is um, Mitch Evans is going to launch a training thing next week. A I school think. or a... Uh, where you can go on an app and get a program from Mitch Evans. Oh, cool. So, thought I'd give him a shout out for that. Yeah. yeah. Is I he... scratch his back, he scratches mine. Is he going to be doing a Jed beating where he's heading home and then no. popping he up? Said he, he said he does not want to go back to Australia. Right. Um, I don't know what he does, but I think he will be around. Okay. But he's he's kind of in that position, as is many as are many riders, where the top guys still need to sort themselves out before the trickle effects a uh, tri- trickle effect happens um kevin hawkmo made mention of that as well so we're kind of in a holding pattern who what prominent riders from mx2 have to get out next year hawkmo mostike gertz is gone gertz hawkmo mostike gertz i think that's it i can't think of anyone else uh harrop is not no he's got one more one year one more year okay. I, I very 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 much expect him to be on triumph okay I would bet my life on it. Not that that's worth much, but hey-ho, I would bet everything I have on that. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I can't think of anyone else. I, I believe there were just free riders. What do you So, MX2, is there any anything of MX2 you enjoyed today? Good question. <sighs> we have to give Adamo some credit, right? Because, Why Adamo? Because, I mean, he had he finished 10th in the first moto. He made a mistake when he was trying to sees eighth he had nearly had a big big one going into the first corner and that slight dip down before they head up left uh and you know he just said he went for it in the second motor turned it around and you know he 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 rode well i thought do we do we think that first moto was him struggling with the pressure of gertz being out and therefore that made the title dream that much more realistic no i think it's far more simple than that where he just got a poor start and, you know, he thought, right, I'm not going to take any crazy risks because that's been his MO all the way through. Uh, you know, he admitted as much as well. And in, in the press conference afterwards, he said, you know, if I was not in the championship position where I am now, then, you know, I would maybe take some more risks to go for higher positions. But, you know, Adamo is arguably, he said he's going to wait a couple more races before he switches into prioritizing the championship. And before anyone thinks, well, that could be a risky tactic or not the best thing to do, Tony Cairoli was doing the same thing, even from, you know, just past 
a halfway seasonal point. You know, he would, Cairoli even tapered off his training time on the bike because he wouldn't want to take risks during the week. Uh, he was focusing purely on getting the points and getting the job done at the weekend. Uh, Adama's closest threat now, ironically, is just from his teammate. I mean, Liam Evans is 80 points behind. Yeah, you must be... Um, I'm worried. No, no Licking your not. chops. Like, oh, cool, we've got a race on our hands. Yeah. MXGP was exciting. How many points are still left to win? <laughs> there are, you can get 60 points per Grand Prix, and there's four points left. 240. So, you know, it's not beyond the realms. Yago Gertz can still win this championship. I don't think... He's 104 points behind. I don't think the Gertz is going to race next weekend. I think that's already confirmed. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's confirmed. Well, not confirmed, but I think it's already like... uh, What would be the opposite? What would be something slightly less than confirmed? He tried to ride on Thursday, and he could withstand the pain, but he didn't have enough strength or confidence in his arm. And the team said it's too dangerous for you to race. But now he's got... I don't know, a couple more days. He hasn't raced this weekend. He, he's. They have to give up now. He's not going to win this championship. He's just not. It's highly unlikely, but mathematically still possible. But like, even if something happens to Adamo, he's now got a leapfrog Everett. Okay, Everts. Um, Lagenfelder is thirteen points behind and on form. So even if something happens to Adamo, I don't think that Gertz would be my favourite. But then he came back and took a third and three wins. That's true. I mean, he was an instant hit straight away. He didn't need to build up any anything. He just went and smashed it. I enjoyed how in his Instagram update announcing he wouldn't be racing Sweden, his shirt matched the colour of his sling. And I felt like that was a really nice touch that no one else would acknowledge. A bit of coordination. Yeah, like, when do you see that? He's living in Monaco now. Maybe it's the jet set kind of, you know. Sat there in a navy shirt on his couch for some dressed for anything if he gets invited to a monaco gala he's ready and his car uh sling matched it perfectly well, did, did he have a pair of loafers and was sipping a martini couldn't, couldn't see that far down but ah, i would okay. probably um expect he was uh as we said simon was very good simon is simon is very good and actually going back to what i said right now who do you think wins the mx2 championship next year going off of just gut i guess Probably Adamo. Oh, see, I wouldn't. I didn't think you were going to go that way. Because I think he'll be even better next year. He has the right mentality to do the job. He's just he's a he's a championship guy. He's not you know. It's, we, if we compare him to like Sasha Kunin, who confuses me because you know his stature says he should be on an eighty-five, but you know he's just like a, this barrel of energy and aggression. Sometimes you just want to say to him, "Look, calm down." You know, you don't need to try and win every single moto in your rookie year. And it's leading to all these little slips. Uh, you know, I think Lucas already, his brother has more composure. It looks like he has more yeah. maturity. Uh, you know, but Sasha Kuna, he can start. I mean, he has a little bit of Tom Vial about him, that kind of, you know, ability to get out on the bike and, and set rapid lap times. Uh, yeah, I'm talking, blimey, we, can we talk about this year first? I mean, My, what about Liam Everts? Could, I mean, Liam Everts said in public today, you know, you can't rule out anything. Is that your points um, behind? My reason for asking that question is I thought it would be like a... I didn't think you were going to say Adamo, and then I thought that would be a reflection on the current MX2 class. Because I was going to say Lagenfelder, Kunin, and then I was going to say that kind of proves that MX2 at the moment is in a weird holding pattern where there's some real talent coming, and Adamo is picked for pocket. Tivo Benestan, then. I forgot he exists, to be honest. And what about Kaida Wolf? 
I mean, surely he's had some hard yeah, lessons. I forgot this year. he exists as well. That's why MX2 today was 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 weakened by the you know the the absence of these names. Um, yeah, the only other thing I have to say about MX2 is the Lewis Phillips rider of the week in MX2, um, Camden McClellan. Yep, top five. He's been steadily getting better and better and better. And fourth in a second moto was incredible. I thought Personal on a best. Jackie Martin's Honda as well. And l- let's be honest, Honda. The Honda 250 is not the bike of choice of anyone. He's not even on... It's not like he's on a HRC 250 either. Yeah, this is not a Tim Geiger kind of version, or even like a Hunter Lawrence with, you know, um, some help from Pro Circuit, I think it was back in the day. Yeah, it's... uh, I don't want to say privateer, but it's not... It's more that direction than it is the other one. So I think that's um, super impressive. Really, really impressive. Um... Yeah. You need to do a readout. <laughs> we have yeah. to. We have to thank um, you know um, Polysport with their fantastic levers. Unbreakable. Yes. In fact, um, I can ask you this now, actually, in person. Do you remember all of the crashes and falls that you had, and the levers that you destroyed because of that? No. <laughs> okay. Don't have a. <laughs> don't. Am I not following the script? Sorry. The oh script, yes, yes, I do. The yeah. script does not tell me what how to reply to that. Yeah, goodness, you know, they just used to have used to have a drawer full of them. I wish I didn't have to raid the drawer. Well, <laughs> well, that's no lie. <laughs> oh, it's just seamless. <laughs> there is this night. It's ten past eleven well, on Sunday night. That's no longer a problem. <laughs> oh, life. Well, that's no longer a problem because. Polysport released for pivot unbreakable levers, a lever set that never breaks. If you fall, they can be bent back to their original shape. Easy as that. Incredible, right? Right? Polysport, my coast is having a bit of a breakdown. We really appreciate your support. And you know, guys, use the unbreakable levers because, you know, they'll definitely save you some money. Very practical. And these things really work. Um also, you making me read this at the end means that my read doesn't work because it says now that you know that your levers won't break again, sit back, relax, and have a nice time listening to the podcast. <laughs> so, well, you didn't have to read that last bit. <laughs> I'm like Ron Burgundy. I just read what's in front of me. Hence why you not following my script really threw oh, me off. Dear. So thanks, Adam. Thanks for that. Um, no, thank you to Polisport and their unbreakable levers. Probably would have come in handy for quite a few riders in the mud today. You said that Sweden is one of your favourite Grand Prix. Will you come back next year? I think I'm going to come back every year. And I think what I'm going to do is get a perpetual perpetual yeah. trophy made for the go-karting. <laughs> because, um, obviously, I went go-karting with Jeremy last year. And for whatever reason, it became quite... Everyone in the paddock on Friday was like, have you been go-karting yet? Have you been go-karting yet? Who won? Like, and I said to, I even said to Jeremy, like, did you get asked a lot? And he was like, yeah, a lot. Ben Watson, well, I saw Ben Watson and the first thing he said to me was, have you asked Lewis about the karting? I'm like, I can give a shit about the karting. What's going on with your suspension? Uh, but yeah, that he, he seemed very enthusiastic to say, to recount your, your failure. I can 100% say that the highlight of Ben's weekend was go-karting. And I would even go as far as to say it was the highlight of Jeremy's weekend. Right. Okay. Um, well then get your stuff get, get your shit organised next year and do a bit of a journalist this you is know, what I'm meeting, thinking you know. I'm going to think I'm, I'm going to get a perpetual trophy and I'm going to do a Lewis Phillips Invitational and I'm going to have I'm one not, heat for industry one heat for riders and then we're going to have a main event I'm not sure I would like to take part in a Lewis Phillips Invitational <laughs> if you gave it a cool name that would be you know 
<laughs> no one wants an invite from Lewis Phillips. Maybe you should get the, you should get like a gold LP as like, you know, initials it, as a trophy. I'll call it the Jeffrey Hurley's Invitational. And then it's suddenly much more exciting for everyone. Yeah. He just won't attend. But Jeffrey will want like an endorsement fee probably. And that's where the, the, the project will I fail. Did a, I did a, I did a post-race podcast with him and I said, oh, last thing. Um, have you had good response to that interview we did? And he went, yeah. I'm wondering if I need to ask you how much money you made off it and what my cut is. <laughs> like, there you go. Shit. Um, <laughs> Um, it might be a regular thing. No, but the Lewis Phillips Invitational. I think that's a good idea. And I think, genuinely, like I said to Jeremy, I said, the amount of people that are asking about this means that there is, there's legs to doing extracurricular stuff. Yes. And I think that's what MXGB is missing. Um, yeah, a bit more community just activities. A bit more, just a bit more... It was very sad coming into the track because we have to drive through like a, a very kind of forestal trail rally. to get to... Yeah, a yeah, rally course to get to the parking and the the, the, the karting track was silent and wet mm. all weekend i thought usually that's the best weekend ever in the, you know for that for that circuit you know making money from all the people in the paddock and it was just empty i don't want to shame i don't want to complain but you've just reminded me that when it came time to pay for go-karting jeremy was nowhere to be seen so <laughs> awkwardly i was like uh, i'll pay for two people and as i l- tapped my card he appeared and i said Cost, cost me a little bit of money that did right hint hint and he went but didn't i pay for you last year and yeah. i was like yeah but it's a different situation isn't it like i'm not we're not really on the same maybe jeremy's one of those guys you know when you you get a truck reversing it goes beep 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 and everyone knows that yes. you know you get out of the way because you might get run over when he hears like a, a tap of a card it goes beep and it's been paid he appears i i, I just don't really have the funds to well, imagine there's no go-kart track. It's wiped out. It's lost oh, yeah, all its revenue. Will you come back to the motocross Grand Prix? I do like Sweden. Normally, it's very hot. So it's also very pleasant from that aspect. It's midsummer. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, I like the jet. I like the go-karting. I like that there's just a little more jet being Not Jet Lawrence being the, the fighter jet that buzzes over Udavala every single year. And it actually scared the wits out of me yeah, this did, afternoon I do, it did to me as well and normally that doesn't happen but for some reason i don't know it, it's like some some heavenly force had ripped open the sky and you know there was like it, it felt like a thunderbolt had just landed next to you yeah i jumped out of my skin like i yeah i don't know why because it's expected <laughs> but it's so cool isn't it i mean human beings can make these things it's it's it's, um, it's incredible the power yeah maybe i'll do that instead of go-karting next year I experience everything that Udavala does. I've done go-karting, so I'll do the fighter jet next year. Turn up in a jet. The Lewis Phillips Invitational fighter jet. Yeah, have a banner in the back. <laughs> you know. um, no, I think Udavala, I do think Udavala's a good GP. It wasn't great. Okay, it wasn't great this year, but I think that much mm. like... No? Oh, you didn't... You were... A good GP? Okay, so put it this way then. I'll a- reverse it to you. When you look at your MotoGP calendar next year, yes. if Udavala fits into the off weekend and you're like... That's one I kind of have to go to because it works. Are you going to be a bit like, ugh? Uh, like, for instance, when I looked at my Supercross calendar this year, Villa's Suse Cot was one that fit into the off weekend. And I was like, oh, I, I don't want to go to Villa's Suse Cot. Like, it's great and it's, it's convenient and it kind of means I have to go there, but I don't want to. Why didn't you consider going to Villa's Suse Cot then? <laughs> <laughs> anyway but um yeah to answer your question i mean it might just be i might be a a slave to the schedule 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I actually I want to see what Odovala does next. How they kind of you know maybe they'll reinvent the track because they've shown that they can react to comments, they can react to criticism or constructive criticism. So um, let's end on this. Speaking of Odovala, so they did do a press conference today announcing that they've re-signed to host a GP for the next three years. Odd because we don't do those press conferences. And it was made into quite a big deal because it was on our media opportunities spreadsheet yeah. as an in-front announcement. Like, very cryptic. They had a TV camera filming it. Again, that's... They don't film the rider press conference. It it felt almost like it was forced because making a statement or a gesture, maybe the club felt a bit underappreciated. or I don't know. It felt like there was a reason behind it other than just we're making an announcement. Um, I mean, they've been pretty common in the past i mean you do get just it's just a sense of occasion really isn't it it's making some news again the situation being now that there's far less local news coverage of events um you know when you're doing a press conference it's more just like a very quick public display of uh you know and and a public announcement really rather than any kind of um, press opportunity uh but you know, good for them that they found another deal. Good that MHGB can secure. And what is unusual is that we, we haven't really seen any of those sort of mid to long term deals being announced. No. It's always like a calendar's popped up. And since the pandemic, it's the calendar's changed so often. You know, that even at the more regular and stable events, they've, they've been shuffled around. And now you have a, a club, a venue and a country saying, right, well, we're definitely into MHGB for the next three years. Um, so that's a positive thing. Speaking of which, you don't expect to see um, Australia on the calendar next year, no? No, I still think it's too far-fetched. I mean, the, the rumours are growing again, but it just seems to be the same cycle of rumours yeah, every like, few years. It's almost like the Prado's leaving Austria rumour, where you're just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, Canada as well. Canada was always... There was somebody interested in Canada yeah, we, and yeah, running we, a Grand Prix. Um, we got an email, didn't we? Yeah, somebody was sort of you know asking for some background information about making an event happen. You know... Uh, China as well. I think that, you know, in front of trying to get China back on the calendar. And, you know, David Longo in an interview to me over the weekend admitted that, you know, kind of Asia, Southeast Asia is really kind of where they want to explore next for for territories. But wait, what's the difference between is Indonesia not in Southeast yeah, Asia? That's, yeah, so oh. Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia. Well, remember even last year when um, I randomly found the Malaysia news story on google yeah that said confirmed uh i think it was like two malaysia one thailand one indonesia and it would be a four-week run and just that was that was literally on the malaysian news many news websites it was a press conference it's big big deal it's not unusual for the sepang international circuit to sell out for MotoGP. you know to be a completely full attendance that's a lot you know hundred thousand people it's a big crowd have you ever spoken to the Asian promoter of the MotoGP and asked them if they know about motocross and whether it's something that they've identified as a potential... Not uh, really. I mean, Infront seemed to have Indonesia locked up. Uh, This year was the first of five years at Lombok, so there's another four years to come. And, you know, one thing Infront are trying to do and what they said in this MSMA meeting in Lomo is they're going to have doubles when it comes to the overseas. There's going to be six overseas races. So Indonesia is going to form um, a third of that. Yep. So the, the other two are going to be Argentina plus another race in South America. You would assume Brazil, everyone's talking about. 
Uh, and then the other one being China and another race in Southeast Asia, whether that is Malaysia or Thailand, that remains to be seen. Or just another Indonesia? Potentially. I guess. Like, that's not... I guess we could just run Indonesia um, as much as we want. I'm really. not an economist, but... Or, you know a great studier of the news in the, that particular region of the world, but it does seem that economies or businesses or growth is happening in those those areas. So uh, people are trying to tap into it. Same as the Middle East. I said, you know what, Formula One has two Grand Prix there. A Ramco is stamped all over Formula One. Big, big kind of Saudi Arabian oil money. It's infiltrating many different other sports. You know, is MHGP, can it be like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit but player and get some of that budget? Um David didn't sound too optimistic of heading there again. That's weird because again, that was uh, Oman. Uh, that was like another one of those ones where every year it was like, "Yeah, we're going, we're going," and then nothing. Um, speaking of Indonesia, quickly, uh, a manufacturer guy said to me, "Yeah, they say that we sell um, a lot of motorcycles in Indonesia." Their scooters. And I was like, yeah, that matters though, because it means a lot to see X rider win on a dirt bike. And they were like, no, we don't care. Like they say that and we kind of go along with it, but we don't care. Like that's not, that's not even having an impact on our brands because the manufacturers are such massive names. We don't need this tiny little publicity in the country. Well, the, the problem is the manufacturers are splintered. Somebody who's looking after, let's just pick a name, Yamaha Motor Europe is not really going to give a shit about the sales happening in Indonesia yeah. or Thailand. From a company point of view or protocol, of course, a Yamaha rider winning the MHGP of Sweden is good brand exposure for, say, the 100,000 fans that are currently in Indonesia and Thailand. But, you know, direct correlation to sales, of course, you know, Europe, which are funding most of the, the MHGP effort, are not really bothered about, you know, having great exposure in the other side of the world. Yeah, like I guess... um. Yamaha make it work because they have the sponsorship from Semican D something, which is the Yamaha Indonesia thing. Um, and I guess that's quite a big deal because it's plastered everywhere. Same with Honda. I think they have, you know, HRC have um, a Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they're funding and they're doing promotional stuff over there as well. Um, so the, there is a unified thing yeah. when it comes to world global Honda, but. You know, when it comes to they're so splintered in the individual markets, and where's the money coming from to fund Grand Prix racing? So that's why, you know, the same thing in Supercross. Why should they bother? North America organizes and funds all of the, the AMA Supercross program. So why would they have to pay to race in France? Yeah. And it's the same thing with World Supercross. Like, no, everyone's so confused about, well, whose budget does that fall under? Even down to gear deals. You want to deal, oh, hey, we're a World Supercross team, Fox. We would like a deal with you. Fox are like, uh, what does that come out of our American budget or our European budget? Or it's just messy. Similar to even us, like when we get advertising from people, because we're not a specific country media, sometimes brands are like, uh, okay, yeah, we want to work with you, but we don't really know where to place you or where, where to take this money from. Um, it's just like a little intricacy to the industry that is overlooked. We are universal. Just go to, go to the top. Oh yeah. Speaking of, speaking of sponsorship, um, you can sponsor us. Which you should do because we do good things. We will. Um, we do get readouts right eventually. That was that was honestly that was such a good readout that Polisport are going to be thrilled. I feel like Polisport are thrilled in general. Also, um, as we wrap up, last week you mentioned getting questions. We yes. couldn't do it this week because obviously the GP only finished four hours ago. But from now we will be having questions every week, 
And the best question will get a prize from Polysport. I don't know if that will be a lever or merch or whatever, but a prize of some kind. Thank you, Polysport. So keep an eye out for the questions tweet and instagram story that we will be putting up the best thing is also having like people involved that are keen to do stuff not just like oh can you read and that's it yeah you know, when they're like you know oh, we'll get involved or what can we give or you know um i don't know just getting a bit more dynamic with with the stuff it's good that because you end up chatting about polysport in an organic way yeah you know and that's 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 also i think helps that's why yeah like um that's the case in so many facets of the industry where like people need to just wake up and get a bit active, get a bit, like, even down to people who sponsor riders and everything, like, there's such, there's so many opportunities. Like, even, we, we've talked about me going go-karting with Jeremy and Ben. If you're a sponsor of Jeremy or Ben, how brilliant to put your name on that and get, like, because we've just organically spoken about that. I spoke about it with Jeremy today in the interview, like... Yeah, it's going to be social media yeah, stuff, there's going to be photos. That's, uh, yeah. that's something, but, yeah. Talking of which, you know, I, gear, by the way, I thought the the Rebel KTM guys wearing the Alpine Stars light blue liveries on the, obviously, like the 24 stuff looked really cool. Yeah, in I Sweden's did as well, and I don't know why. I, it's, for me, it's a fight between Troy Lee Designs and Alpine Stars for the best-looking motocross gear at the moment. Uh, apologies to FXR. Well, FXR um, don't have much of a presence in MXGP yet. Yeah. Watch this space. Um, no, not, for, not Troy Lee for me, though. No? The Yamaha guys just look very... Samey to me every week. No, I thought. I th- well, on Saturday, or you know, um, Elzinga was wearing different gear. He was looking grey, kind of faded a little bit into nothing today. But I remember looking at it on Saturday, thinking that, that really looks looks the business. I thought. I think. Uh, I thought Sua looked quite good today. I'll and tell you what done. didn't look good. Um, the Beta guys and Ferrato with their luminous yellow blue combo. Easy to spot in the mud, though. Yes. Well done. For finding a positive, <laughs> because I was watching in the very boring MXGP race and thinking to myself, "Can I come up with a positive spin on that gear?" And I was just like, "No, um, high vis. No, I can't. Can't go wrong with high vis." Still, just yeah, a lot of perplexing things on this weekend. We're back to doing a Zoom podcast then next week because uh, yes. I'm, I'm going to be in. You're going to be in Holland. I'm going to be in Austria. Yes, I will be in Holland. Um, everyone's surprised, but after Holland, I am done. I think. Until Erne. Potentially. There is a chance I'm... You can't miss the nations. Come no, on. No, I'm not going to... Oh, speaking of which, speaking of which, um, if there is a chance that we may be able to do a live podcast at the nations. So if this sounds like a good idea, let us know because it will give us a little more of a push to do it. Yeah. Send if some comments. If you think shit, then also let us know because we won't bother. We can forward it onto in front. Maybe we can do it from the monster rig. Get some of the monster riders who are riding at Erne to talk with us. Uh, we could do a sustained show there. There's all sorts of possibilities. You can run some competitions. We could throw Polysport levers into the crowd. We could. We could um, persuade some Monster Energy girls to hang out with us. That wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? That would be a great podcast, me trying to talk to a Monster Energy girl. Uh, yeah, I might, I might have to help you out. I think you might <laughs> melt down slightly. But, but the, you know, it's a good idea. I mean, I think it, you know, if there's people up there who'd be ready to listen to it, then um, you know, let us know. Just yeah, my only concern is whether it's just going to be French people who have never heard of us. So if you are going to the nations and you are listening to this podcast and you think that you would like to, but then also if we do it, I would want to live stream it on YouTube. Okay. So technically it wouldn't matter who's actually listening to us at the track. Then that just means, you know, Monster Energy have to be on board because I think they have the resources. I mean, they're very proactive with their promotions at the, the nations and we just need to be organized. Yes. I think we can do it. Team France, home nation. 
Maxime Renault's put his name back in the hat. Renault, Ferrandis, and Febra? No, Renault, Beniston, and Febra. Beniston? How, when are France take, when was the last time that France? What about Vial? France don't, A, France and Vial couldn't agree on a hat. (laughs) B, when, how often do France overlook the riders in America in favour of the ones in GPs? A lot. Yeah. Unless they're desperate. But that also comes with logistics. And with Red Bull KTM, that won't be a problem. In fact, it would be the easiest French. But Marvin hasn't been on the nation's team as much as he should have been. Right. Okay. I'll give you that. Um, I just think that if, if, if Beniston is healthy, which is a question mark because I'm not entirely sure what his situation is. If France have Beniston and Vial in front of them, both are healthy, both are capable. They're going Beniston every single time. And Ferrandis doesn't even have any ride for next year. He constantly tells everyone that he hates his bike. So I can't imagine that he would sign up for an additional race. But he's the kind of wild card that would go really well in the nations, just like he did at Redbud. Yeah. And he, it would be a nice homecoming for him because he hasn't been in Europe for however long, which reminds me, good thing we jogged for memory on this. We did learn that an MXGP team did reach out to Ferrandis and it was an immediate, abrupt no. A hard no. <laughs> yeah. Not even. Non. Not even entertaining the idea of coming back to GPs. Absolutely zero interest would rather retire than do that. Like you said, we've bumped, been lucky to bump into some people that sort of like the podcast, which is very cool. So I'm going to shout out to our friend Chris, American. We bumped into in the paddock in Sweden this weekend. Um, nice to meet you, mate. Impressive beard. Uh, also, um, you know, I met a, a, a gentleman by the name of Matt in Silverstone. He listens to the, the podcast as well or, or knows of us. So, um, you know, shout out to him as well. A fan? Yeah. I'd like to say, um, well done to my youngest son, Geordie, who's sitting over there patiently waiting for us to finish this podcast because he came along and took some photos. And thanks to the help from Mr. Ray Archer for some, um, tips and taking pictures and also using Photoshop. Um, he did some decent stuff, which I'm going to run a little gallery of in on Trek Off Road this week. Um, speaking of which, can you write me a column? Have you got time? Yeah, I can do that. What do you want me to write about? Not about go-karting or a Lewis Phillips trophy. <laughs> the Lewis Phillips Invitational and the Lewis Phillips Perpetual Trophy. Yeah, I think you're already motivated. I'm worried by the glint in your eye. The Perpetual Trophy would be funny. Like, Can you imagine the funniness of... Uh, this is, and this has nothing to do with me, just the idea and the funniness. If I post a... Next year, Udavala, I post a photo on Instagram. Jer- Jeremy Sewer posts a photo on Instagram of him with the Lewis Phillips Perpetual Trophy on Friday. And then on Sunday him with a GP winner trophy, the go-karting one gets more interaction. 100%. Like, you can't even deny it, can you? There's no doubt. It's just so depressingly true. But it's just the way of the world now. Yes. I'm going to... This... This... this I need to make this happen. Um, I won't partake because I almost died. Um, but I had one more thing to say because you just jogged my memory about something. Oh, you thanked people. Um, I should apologise because last week I said... When you brought up Rasmus, I said, where's he been? He was all over this podcast. And I <laughs> abruptly said to him, where have you been? And he said, you never ask me, which is a very good point. I think I even said that, you know, he's, he's been there. He's probably just waiting for our call. Um, yeah. I, I think I he, guess, needs, he needs to come back on the podcast because all three of his riders were out, you know. Um, he needs something to do to keep Lucas Kuna's crash on Saturday was just incredibly scary fair play to the cult moto guys because they had the video on their socials um go and have a look at it because how on earth lucas got up and walked away and was actually relatively unhurt he didn't race of course but a miracle lorenzo rest lorenzo rester's photo of it was incredible as also well. quite graphic yeah very like scary. bizarre um but yeah so we'll get rasmus back on soon because he has uh 
rightly not being invited and that is quite a key integral part of getting someone on the podcast <laughs> um right thank you to fxr thank you to polysport thank you to you people for listening uh, as we both mentioned a lot of fans around that we've met who listen to these podcasts the numbers are growing quite a lot each week um the lommel episode was a massive hit like shocking uh, in fact actually the lommel episode was much more listened or more listened to than the american counterpart of this show so um yeah nice to see this is working if you want to get involved email l phillips at vitalmx.com um and i will hook you up with a placement on this podcast or maybe a new product that we have coming or maybe you want to be involved in that motocross of nations live show you can also get in touch with me about that as well um yeah as i said thank you everyone for listening thank you to you adam wheeler from on track off road we will see you when's the next gp this weekend? Next, Next weekend. weekend, Arnhem. This weekend. We will see you in seven days' time to discuss Arnhem, round 16 of MXGP. Just four to go now. Champions will be crowned soon enough, and hopefully silly season will get kicked off, so we'll have more of those rumours as well. Until then, have a good week, and thank you for listening. <laughs>